Thanks, Larry. So I'm, I'm going to pray for us before we get started. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for this, this evening. We're just thankful for the people that are here tonight, Lord. They're here because they want to be better ambassadors, better leaders, better for you in the marketplace. They want, they're here to learn and to be able to share and to bring people with that saving knowledge of Jesus that uh, may never walk in the doors of this church, Lord. So help, help us have eyes and ears for Julian tonight and listen to him and just really take in what he has to share. I know that he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he's really, uh, really capable to deliver this message tonight. So I'm thankful for him, thankful for this time. And Lord, we just lift this meeting up to you. We know that it's going to be something that's going to honor you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. All right. Thanks, Dave. So, um, so I know we have a mix of folks in here. So there's some who may be people leaders, some who aren't. I know some of us have peers at work, and so maybe you're not in a position of supervision and have people who report to you. So I know those dynamics are a little bit different. And so really what I want to do today as we walk through this is, one, it is more focused towards employee development, so people who report up through some sort of structure and you're over them. Um, but also call, up as long, call out as we go along places where maybe we can make some adjustments and tweaks to things I'm going to share with you today and how you can use those with peers that, you know, maybe side to side or maybe they work in a different department, uh, just kind of help them along as well. And so um, I'll make some of those adjustments and call some of those things out as we go because I'm going to try and make this as applicable to as many people as possible. So it is intended to be more for the people leaders of the world, but like I said, I can make some adjustments as we go to share some of those items that would make sense for, for a lot of us as we, as we go along. Because in the workplace too, even if you are leading people, you typically have peers in that space too, and they can drive you crazy. And so what do I do about that? And so we'll try and touch on some of those things too, um, so that we can all take something away from here today. So, okay. So, um, so, so Dave, appreciate the... Uh, uh, the introduction. So um, I've been in the people leader uh, realm of, of business for about 15 years now. Um, and as Dave said, I'm, uh, I lead the production department for, for EQT Corporation, which is a, it's a department of about 260 people. So it's a big group. Um, and so in that space, one of the things that's really, really important is um, how do you develop the people that work in your organization? Because sure, it's easy to fire people, but it's really hard to then bring new people in and so you're much better off spending your time and resources and developing those that are within uh, within your company and your workplace uh, to help better their performance because they get better then it makes your organization better um, but uh, sure there's always the business component to that um, but it really is about people so yes people can drive you crazy um, and I, the it does resonate that you know this would be super easy if it wasn't for the people because um, they both make it the most rewarding but they also make it the most difficult um, but the most rewarding part for me is when you can work with somebody um, help them develop, see them get better, not just in their workplace, but just personally too, because people put so much into the workplace. Um, their identity can be in the workplace. And so if you can help them in that place to, to get better, um, to improve their performance, they see the benefits of that. Um, it just opens up other doors for you to be able to share Christ with them. Um, and so I just, for me, it's really, really important to, to help really focused on people because you think about Christ and his ministry was focused on people. Um, and so a lot of the things that I'm going to share with you are, are things that I've learned over the course of my time, either through experience, like actually doing it, up then through a lot of variety of different courses that I've been to, whether it's people development, organizational dynamics, all that kind of stuff. Try to take that all and condense it down. Um, when you're in the secular world, it's easy to take all these things and, and use them. Uh, but then for me, I was trying to take a step back and think, uh, from a biblical perspective, how do we apply a biblical perspective to a worldview um, and then bring that into the way we approach people? Um, and so we're going to walk through that first. And then from there, we'll go, we'll go, uh, we'll go into, into some practical things that I use. Okay. So um, we're going to start with uh, 
the person that Jesus called the, the rock and the foundation of the church that he was going to build here. Um, and so you think about Peter. Um, Jesus absolutely developed Peter throughout uh, the three years of his ministry on earth. Um, so I'm going to do a little, we'll do a little paper, paper exercise really quick. So we think about Peter, and if you're in Christ's seat and you're, seeing, you're walking out, you see Peter out on the boat for the first time. At the time, his name's Simon, so he's not even Peter yet. Um, he gets to be called Peter at some point. Um, but at first, his name was Simon. Um, so if you think about Simon, what were some of the qualities of him that you think may have been something that Jesus saw? I was like, hey, there's something in that guy that really makes him someone that I want to build my church upon. Think back, all the stuff that you can recall of him in the Bible. Um, and could he be after, you know, after Christ had the chance to be around for a while, a lot of the stories that you see of, of, of Peter, what are some of the qualities that you think pop out to you as to kind of signify that, hey, this guy might be someone that would have what it takes to be that rock or foundation of the church? Okay. And what does that mean to be a natural leader? Okay. Took charge. I felt kind of quick to step up. Okay. What else? Okay. Great. What else? Get two more. He's a hard worker. Just knowing he was a fisherman. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Work. Yep. Great. Okay. All right. I don't know if I'd equate patience with Peter. Yeah. <laughs> Although, yeah, he had like the big giant net, so maybe. Risk taker. A risk taker. Okay. Awesome. Okay. I was just saying I thought he was bold. Bold. Okay. For sure. It does require some boldness. All right. So a lot of awesome list. I think there's a lot of those things that we can see in Peter um, that really kind of tell you, hey, there's something with this guy that, that could be something special. All right. So how about on the other side? Of that? What are some things we see about Peter that they could actually probably be some of the things we see here <laughs> could be on the other side of this list? Uh, so what are some things we see in Peter that tell us, hey, there's probably some things that he could probably learn, um, that he could probably knock some of the rough edges off uh, to help him be that rock, that person that's going to be representing Christ. Um, so what are some of those things that we see in Peter uh, that might be opportunities for, for him to develop and get better? A hot head. A hot head. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Okay. What else? Two-faced, yeah. That's right. Yep. Okay, that's a good one. We'll, we'll hit. Fearful, yeah. Okay. Anything else? Hot-headed, impulsive, 
fearful, good. Anything else? It's a good list. I think not on a, a personal side, but he also was just uneducated. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's a good one, and we will talk a little bit about that one later. That's good. Okay, I think that's, that's a good list. I'm gonna give us a little bit of time. Wanted to be really, really quick on that. Um, and so, but the list that you brought up here, really quickly, how do we do that? All right, we kind of we know things that we've observed by reading the Word, uh, seeing what was written about Peter. You, all of you are really qu- easily able to pull out qualities that uh, we saw that, hey, these are things that Peter does really well. And these are probably some things that he, that he could have done better. Um, and we did that by just familiarity with ob- our observation, what we've read. And there's not a whole lot different to what it takes in terms of employee development. Um, and we'll, we'll get into that here in a little bit. But you guys did had an awesome list. Um, so, yes, so Jesus did develop Peter. And so when we think about people development, it's always focused on behaviors. It's not on the person. Um, it's not saying... Peter, you are this. It's Peter, I see this happen. Um, and so when I see this, this is what it looks like. And so impulsive was one up there. I've got uh, John 18. Uh, if you're in the, in the Word, that's the, where he cuts off, the, cuts off the, the ear. Pretty impulsive. Sees Jesus about to get arrested, pulls out his sword, cuts his ear off. What does Jesus do? Hey, put your sword away. <laughs> you know? I, didn't, I saw what you did. I'm not, calling you, I'm, not, I'm not calling you out for assault, but I am telling you that that's not how we do things. Um, not a behavior that I appreciated. Um, I have boastful down here. Um, kind of ties into some things. I mean, we think about when Christ said that he was going to, uh, he asked, let everyone know he was going to die after the Lord's Supper and said, hey, you know, after this night, you guys are all going to deny me. And Peter says, I'm not, I would never deny you. I would never do that. Um, and so he was very, very much making these big, broad proclamations about what he would or would not do. Um, and then lastly, he had it up there, fearful, which is that fearful in the face of opposition, kind of that two-facedness, fearfulness. Um, when he is in that, put into that position, even after being told, you're going to deny me. Um, now he's in the situation, and three times um, in the face of that opposition, uh, we see Peter really become, take that about face um, and basically bow down into the, in, the, in the face of pressure. So those were three things that we did see Jesus, or we did see those things in, in, uh, in Peter. Um, but I think through the course of Scripture, uh, we actually you know we do see Peter make that about face. Um, and so these are the established behaviors. I use these words intentionally because these are things that we're going to talk about when we talk about employees, when we talk about peers. Um, like what are those behaviors that we're seeing um, in the workplace? What are the behaviors that we're seeing um, even outside the workplace? So when you hear people talk about their weekends, what are the things that you hear them talking about that may inform the behaviors that you see happening in work? Um, so these are the things that were likely what we talked about that we saw Peter exhibit. Um, but then we think about what, what are the behaviors that we think Peter should be exhibiting that are the opposites of these things. So you go from this impulsive behavior, cutting people's ears off, to how does Peter exhibit self-control? You go from being boastful to how do you go to showing humility? How do you go from being fearful in the face of opposition to showing courage and being brave in the face of that opposition? And so what I've taken as examples here that we see in the Word of Peter exhibiting these things during the life of Christ. And now we have after the life of Christ. Christ has you know, been crucified, died, resurrected. He's up in heaven. And what do we see Peter doing after that? 
And so I, I especially, you know, I think we see a very clear, we've been talking about Acts, so if you've been coming on Sundays, you know, we've been in the, to the ends of the earth going through Acts, and we've already covered uh, both of these pieces, um, which is showing courage. Um, after Pentecost, you know, there's folks outside saying that the, you know, the apostles, all these disciples must be drunk because they're speaking all these different tongues. Peter's the first one to step up and, and really let the, let the crowd have it, which I think is an, an interesting dynamic because I think we see Yes, Peter is developed, but he hasn't lost some of the, lost that, uh, his willingness to, you know, some of that courage, that boldness. Um, even a little bit of the hothead. It's like, okay, it's all right to kind of let, a, let someone have it when, they're, when, they've, when they've earned it. Um, so I think it's, it's cool to see that, yes, Peter has grown in that, in that courage, but at the same time, he has not lost some of those things that made him actually really, really, really attractive as a, as a leader for, um, of, the, of the future church. And then also encourages is Acts 4, a very similar situation to when he was being asked, are you a follower of Christ? And he said no, and he did it three times. Now you have he, uh, him getting arrested. Now he's standing in front of the Sanhedrin, and they're you know, basically telling him, you either stop preaching about Christ, or we're going to kill you. Um, and he says, if you're going to kill me, go ahead and kill me. A much different man that we see in that moment versus the man who's shying away from a little girl asking him if he's a follower of Christ. And so there's a tremendous change that we see happen um, in Peter as a result. And it's pretty awesome. I think about, like, how does this happen? Like, how do you have a guy go from what we just laid out here as before to what we see Peter at the end of his life? Um, even in his own two books, in First Peter and Second Peter, he talks about why it's important for us to be humble. He talks about why it's important for us to exhibit self-control. So you have a man who didn't really have a lot of that in his life, who now towards the end is now talking about why it's so important for us as believers to exhibit these qualities in ourselves. And I'm, I'll go so far as to say, even though it's not explicitly said in the Word, he's probably heard that from somebody else. Um, and I'm going to guess that was probably Christ speaking into him, why it was so important for him to have these qualities. And so the question is, how? Like, how did Jesus do this? And I thought it was really cool on the first, uh, the night one of this, there was a question of, you know, what are things we could do to, uh, to demonstrate our faith in the workplace? Um, and the word relationship came up several times in that. Like, you really have to focus on building a relationship. And that really was the cornerstone that, uh, kind of pun intended, I guess, the cornerstone uh, that, uh, that Christ used is that he built, uh, his leadership was really focused on relationship. And so first he built that relationship with all the disciples. I mean, think about Peter specifically, he was one of the three, you know, one of those three, the core uh, disciples that spent more time with Christ than anybody else. And so a key, a key part of this is that leadership is influence. A lot of times we associate leadership with the position. So say, hey, you have to be a supervisor, you have to be a manager, you have to be this to be a leader. Um, and I say you don't have to be that. Um, leadership is all about influence. So you think about those you work, who work around you. If you have influence in your workplace through the relationships that you've built, you may not like it, but you're a leader in that organization. Um, you're a leader when people look to you uh, because of the influence that you have here in your life. And that influence comes from the relationships that you've been able to build. And so that's a really important um, component to anything when we talk about uh, employee development, dealing with other folks in the workplace, um, is you have to have that relationship first before you've earned the right to speak into someone's life. Um, and in the workplace, we talked about it before, when the workplace is a person's life, to earn the right to speak into that, you have to have that relationship first. Okay. Um, second one is you have to know where someone is and where they need to be uh, for the betterment of the person and then also the organization that you're in. Um, so one of the things I like to talk about sometimes is you get into workplaces and 
people want to talk about people development and they'll be like i want to become a better soccer player it's like well we're in oil and gas so you being a better soccer player doesn't help us from a <laughs> from a company perspective uh, to, to do better to be better at your job so it has to be twofold better for the person but then also better for whatever organization that you're in um, thirdly uh, really focused on imparting knowledge and then building skill uh, so you think about those times that christ spent all that time with peter uh, throughout his ministry um, I'm pretty sure there was knowledge being imparted in that. Um, but then secondly, you think about how often did Christ, when you go through the Word and read it, how often did Christ send the disciples out to go do something? You know, I'm going to send, I'm going to send these disciples into to Jerusalem to go bring back the donkey. I'm going to send you guys to go do this. I'm going to send you guys to go do that. When he's doing that, he's building skill in the disciples. So he spends time around them, sharing knowledge, this is what being a Christian, you know, this is what being my follower looks like. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. All of these things he's doing in this very intimate place in, of relationship. And then he's sending them out to go and work on the things that he shared with them. And so that's what he's doing throughout this entire process. This go, go learn, do something, fail, <laughs> come back. We'll talk about it. You know, what can we do better? This is what this really looks like. And then sends them out again. So it's this continued process of learning trying it out, building the skill, coming back, getting better. And so that's really what Christ does with the disciples uh, throughout his ministry. So yes, it's about spreading, his, spreading the gospel and his, and his word throughout, throughout the world, but he knew he was going to do it through this group of 12. And so he had to make sure that they were prepared uh, for what was in front of them. And so everything he does was so intentional in developing each of them in their specific area of need so that they could go be the people that they were going to be uh, to help us all be here today. So... Um, Fourthly, we have this uh, creating accountability. Um, so there has to be some system of, all right, go do this. Make sure that we're going to come back. We're going to have this follow-up. And that kind of ties into that. Go, go send you out, do things, come back. And so they knew that they would go out. They were asked to accomplish, do a task, accomplish something, go come back, and then see how it all turned out. Um, and then lastly, this one's kind of more of an add-on that we'll talk a little bit more. But identify the individual's motivation to get better. I think for Peter, it was... When his name gets changed from Simon to Peter, at that point in time, how, how many of you would have responded to like, all right, I know you're called this, but now I'm going to call you Peter because you're going to be the rock that I'm going to build my church on. And so now you go from this place of, all right, I'm just, I'm this hot-headed fisherman out here following Jesus to, I'm going to be the rock that Christ is going to build his church on. It's a pretty big motivation for someone to really take all of this together and be really in serious and intentional about what you're doing. And so you tag all this stuff together, and, and that's really the basis for um, everything that I do when I think about employee development and how do we help those who are around us um, improve what they're doing every day. And so this is kind of the model that I've used um, to, to help, help in this. So um, what we're doing is I'm gonna, I have a... I have a handout here that I'm going to pass around, and we will kind of walk through this as the, uh, the start of what we're going to do. If you pass one way, thanks. I mean, I got here. There you go. And so what I have here is going to be um, some more just thoughts around the topic. You got an extra one in there? All right, great. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Um, so this takes what we see here. Now let's kind of move out of the biblical basis to now more practically, what does this look like in practice? I guess that's what it is. practically works like in practice. So, um, so first I want to start off with is that when we think about employee development, 
our minds typically go to those people who are struggling, um, that aren't doing very good. They need a little extra help just to kind of help them keep their jobs um, to, be the, to be the ones that people actually want to go to and not run away from. Um, but I'm here to say that everyone has the opportunity to develop. So you can have high performers, low performers, everybody in the middle. Everyone has something that they can work on to get better because um, none of us are perfect. And so, so first I wanna say that, that this is applicable to anybody that you work with or around, whatever. Um, it doesn't matter, everyone has the opportunity uh, to get better in some aspect. The thing about Christ is this idea of sanctification. It's like we can always get better. We can always be more like Christ. We're never, never there um, until that last day and then finally we're there. Um, so kind of the same thing here. Um, so that's something that I want to be sure that we're, we don't lose sight of either, that everyone has the opportunity. And so as we think about this, there's two key places that people can learn, um, can be developed in. Um, so Kata, you mentioned, you know, Peter was uneducated. Um, so that's kind of the first one. It's just like a basic uh, technical, like hard skills, like how do you do this job? So, you know, I worked in Burger King when I was in high school, so I had to learn how to run the broiler. I had to learn how to, you know, cook eggs on the, on the griddle and all that kind of stuff. So those are like the hard skills that you have to learn to, uh, to be able to just, the basics to do your job. Um, so that's the first thing. Um, secondly, then, is the interpersonal skills. So that is, you know, what are the things you have to do to be able to work with other people in the group that you're in. Um, also some of those intrinsic things that you yourself have to learn around self-control and, and how do you have some self-awareness and all those kind of things. Those are things that you also have to learn that are more social type things. Uh, like in a burger, you have to learn how to work with someone else to put together a Whopper. It just, you know, sometimes when it's really busy, you actually have two people who have to put the thing together. So one guy's got the meat and cheese, the other person has to do the mustard, ketchup, lettuce, and tomatoes. So it's kind of like you have to work together with somebody. So um, you have to learn that social skill of interacting with someone, making sure that if someone as for no onions, that onions didn't end up on someone's burger went out the door. Um, so, so you have to be able to do that. And so those are going to be the social skills. Okay. Does that kind of makes sense. Okay. Great. So then the question is, all right, well, that's pretty straightforward. So, so as we think about that, there's kind of the four key obstacles then to anybody uh, to, to be able to develop and very similar to kind of what we see up here. Um, so the first, we talked about knowledge, and so that's, they just don't know what to do. And so what do we gotta do? We gotta help them build and learn, uh, gain new information, or some, I'm sure some of our favorites, anyone here said, I've told this person four times, I just don't know why they don't get it. So that is the second piece of this, which is reinforce information that they already know. <laughs> and so, so you gotta give them new information because maybe they just don't know, or they know, but they just need to be told again. Uh, so you have this, this kind of continuum of that uh, on the knowledge side of things. And so what I've written down here is four different, kind of four kind of really easy ways to help um, someone in this place to overcome this knowledge gap. Um, one is to find someone that you know that's really good at something. Um, probably some of us here have probably been a mentor in the workplace because you're probably good at something and you've been asked to train someone new, maybe there's someone who's struggling and you've been asked to, to be a part of mentoring someone that you were actually helping to develop um, some knowledge in somebody and helping to develop them. Um, the next one is to observe for others. This is one that I'm not telling you to be a stalker, um, but, but it is if you know, if you recognize like someone is really good at uh, public speaking, you might say, hey, you know what? I'm not very good at public speaking. I need to get better at that. Watch someone who's a public speaker and say, what are the things that they do uh, that make them really, really good at that? Um, exact same thing in the workplace. Maybe there's someone in your workplace that does a lot of brainstorming. You see them really good at that and you can watch and observe how they do that and take notes around things that you see them doing that really uh, that make them good at that. 
So that's a really non-intrusive way for you to even develop yourself um, in the workplace. You can also then suggest that to a coworker, um, someone who works for you to let them know, hey, Katya's really good at this. So I suggest maybe just kind of when she's in this, in this situation, see how she addresses conflict or see how she um, handles this situation and, and try to take something away from that. And so that's another way of doing it. Um, thirdly, this one's one kind of more on the kind of self-directed side of things is um, have someone read books. And there's tons of books on just about anything you can possibly manage out there. Um, and now I know YouTube has pretty much taken over anything. So if I need to fix my refrigerator, I can go look up a YouTube video, figure out how to do that, and then I can go fix my refrigerator. So it's really easy to point people to things like YouTube and others out there uh, for uh, helping to build knowledge in them. Um, and then lastly, and to me, that sometimes is the least effective is just go to a training course. Um, it's really easy to send people to training courses and learn just about anything. Um, but I've found in the past, in my history, it's typically been the least effective um, just because it's really easy to sit in a classroom, zone out. Um, sometimes they cover a wide bunch of material and you really only need like 5% of what they're teaching. Um, so for me, last resort is usually attending a training class because um, more often than not, it's really hard to take everything you need from that. Um, really kind of the practical, more on the practical side, okay? So um, those are kind of four ways that I see, uh, or there's lots, lots in this place, but those are four ways that I've, I typically go to to help uh, build skill in people that I work with, okay? Anything there surprising, makes sense? Folks just rather go to a, attend a training class? <laughs> I do have folks like going to training class, especially when they're down in Florida, like, yeah, sign me up, I'll go. So, <laughs> Evan. Sometimes a master class or a podcast is a little more focused and narrowly defined that can kind of get to that 5%. That's exactly right, Jamie. I think that's a. Yep. Yeah, that's what, and yeah, that's exactly right, Jamie. That's what I think we're in a really awesome time now where you have the ability to get access. There's so much information out there that you have access to. You can even go out and, you know, you can listen to a 15-minute podcast and you can complete bust, but you're like, all right, well, that was only 15 minutes. I didn't have to fly someone there. I didn't have to fly out there, spend a week in a hotel, then come back. It's like, yeah, that class wasn't any good. Um, so I burned this awesome age of information. Mm -hmm. I listen to a ton of podcasts. That's exactly right. Uh, so that's a great point. I might steal that one. I'll put it on here for future. Um, the one thing that I wonder sometimes with here is whether like, people learn from mistakes, mm -hmm. but you probably wanting to let them. Yep. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, um, we will get to that when we start talking about the kind of the framework and the way that this works, because um, that's a, that is a big component. This we have to allow people to fail. Because I know I've probably learned. Most of what I've learned has been through failure, not through my successes. So, okay. So, so that's the knowledge side. Um, so then next up is skill. So this is, comes to know what to do. Um, now, like how do we learn how to do it? And so and in my eyes, there's, those are two very different things. Um, so, so how do we develop new skills? Um, to me, it's you do it through a couple of different ways. One, you can do it through existing opportunities. Um, so someone was having a hard time with public speaking, hey, go watch Dave public speak because he's really, really good at it. Here's some techniques that you can go watch a, an online video on how to uh, be speak in public. And oh, by the way, we have a presentation in, in, in a month that, uh, that I would like for you to be the one to represent our department and, and give up, get up and, and do the presentation for, for our department. And so you can kind of see how that starts to tie together where you go from, I want you to have this skill, so observe, watch a video, read a book, but now I'm also going to give you this opportunity in the future 
uh, to take this skill and put it into practice. Or uh, take that back, take the knowledge, put it into practice so that you can build the skill. And so for us, it's being intentional about those things and tying them together, not just go read this book, but then you never talk about it again for, for the rest because, all right, you read the book, stamp, we're good, I don't have to have this conversation anymore. It's really intentional about setting that opportunity out in front of them. If the opportunity doesn't exist, sometimes you have to create it. <laughs> and so, um, but it's being really intentional about these steps all tying together. Um, so um, it's really important for us to do that because 70% of that skill development does happen on the job. It's not by sitting in a classroom. It's not just by listening to the podcast. It's actually by doing it that you build the skill. And it's really important to start slowly, um, to start small and move slowly to, to your point. You wanna start small because if they do completely fail, okay, not that disastrous. <laughs> so, so we can start over, minimal damage, it's good. So maybe it's like, all right, I want you to present at our team meeting when it's just us. And then when you get really, really good at this, I'll let you go present to the CEO when it's budget time. Uh, and so, so kind of pick your, pick your shots, make sure, start off small, build that confidence, start slow, allow folks to get really comfortable with what they're doing uh, to build that confidence and skill. Um, and that ties in that low risk opportunities. Um, and so I think that's really, really important. Okay, so real tie, knowledge, knowing what to do, skill, how to do it, and having the opportunity to do it um, repeatedly, okay? Um, and then moving into the next piece, which is one I think that is, uh, is one where a lot of development things fail, um, and it's in identifying someone's motivation for getting better. Um, so how many of you have been through a performance review and you know, supervisors say, hey, you know, I really think you, you know, you do this, this, and this great, and then these are your opportunities for getting better, and then that's it, and you move on. The underlying assumption in that is you're either intrinsically motivated to get better or you're not going to ever do it because it's like, all right, we had our conversation, I got my raise, I got my bonus, I'm, I still get to keep my job, whatever. <laughs> and so you just move on. Um, so it's just kind of like this lip service gets paid to it. Um, so one of the things that's really important to me here is being able to identify the motivation for someone to get better. So motivation is an obstacle um, because you're complacent about where you currently sit today. You think yourself, I have no motivation to get better. Um, so it's really important for us to identify someone's motivation uh, to improve. And in general, I've been able to boil this down to two things. Um, two kind of paths of motivation. Uh, the first is what I've, I wrote down here, I called it survive, which is basically to escape pain. <laughs> so I will get myself better to escape pain. Uh, basically it's reactive, something imposed on me. So it's this, you know, kind of the idea of, all right, if you don't, if you don't stop yelling at people in our meetings, I'm gonna have to fire you. That is not a place of a positive motivation. That is a place of fear um, that's imposed upon somebody. And I've historically found that as the least effective way to motivate someone to get developed. Um, and I have an example of that, and we'll, we'll talk about it here in a little bit. Okay. Um, the, se the second path we can go down um, is thrive, which where there's a, an opportunity to gain benefit out of, uh, out of improving. And this is internally driven, something that you that person themselves chooses. Um, it's very proactive because it's working on things that could be potential in the future. Uh, people get excited about it um, and they actually get that kind of that adrenaline dopamine rush when they, when they have success. Um, that's a much more positive motivating factor and really helps drive um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of development improvement that I've seen in people. I mean, that kind of comes back to, we talked about Christ and Peter probably a bit of a positive reinforcement, positive motivation that there was this really big future thing out there for him uh, to really go after, okay? So, any questions on those three? I 
talking really fast too, so I'll slow down a little yeah, that bit. That was huge, Julia, because you don't, we don't tend to spend a lot of time yep. on looking for that motivation, yep. especially po positive motivation, because everybody has it, mm -hmm. but we usually don't spend the time to try to figure out what it is. Yep. And it's really important in what you're talking about. Yep. I'm as guilty as anybody in my life. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, and well, like I've got in the back of this packet, I've got a couple of examples that we'll walk through, one of each, and I'll kind of uh, talk a little bit about how we flesh those things out when we have a conversation. I was thinking about when Jesus um, pretty much said one day, you know, he said, I want, I want you to compel you to go to the highways and the byways and compel them to come in. I mm -hmm. mean, don't just ask them to come. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think we're also thinking about, I don't know, I necessarily said, like, how did, how were they to compel people to come in? Um, I'm not sure if it was the, was it, was it through grabbing them by the neck and dragging them in there? Or was it, you know, through their actions, like, hey, I've seen that guy, and they did this, this, and this. I was like, I'm going to go see what they've got. Um, so. Does this survive because it takes more to inspire? Exactly right. It is super easy to go down the the survive mentality from a leadership perspective. Absolutely is. Yeah, it's it's like the it's like the big red easy button. Some leaders have objectives imposed upon them as well. Mm -hmm. So right. they're gonna try to motivate you to meet their objectives and to be intentional to your points of getting to know the person and how they're mm -hmm. gifted those objectives about just mm -hmm. yep yeah and, and I think wh what I've found is if you take this this sort of approach um, I find results have always been better <laughs> I found that my retentions a lot higher um, and people love working for you um, and much better than the alternative which you know if you're in this place of fear turnover is going to be super high because no one's going to want to work for you um, I guarantee that future opportunities are not going to be there for you because um, I firmly believe that teams actually promote you, um, so the way you do things matters. And I think nothing shines more in the marketplace as to you, if you're in a leadership position, that being peer-to-peer um, -peer, um, position of authority than the way that you show up and the way you treat others. Um, and this really differentiates in the, in the workplace. Um, when your team's in a place of being continued to develop, shows that you care about them, you really want what's best for them, creates a huge degree of trust in an organization. And so, uh, so yeah, Jamie, it's a, absolutely a differentiator. And I think people like eventually have to tune you up to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, how much can you take? Well, 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 that. That's right. I've I've actually used some of this stuff on my kids. Um, <laughs> so you can't fire your kids, but um, but what I've also found is like if you like. Uh, I'm sure no parent has ever done this, but it's like, if you do that one more time, then I'm going to fill in the blank. Um, and if you don't follow through on that, it becomes an empty threat. Um, and I know I've been in the workplace as well. Where there are supervisors, bosses who will say, well, if you don't do this, then I'm going to fire you. All right, well, that person didn't get fired, and then they're still there. What happens to the rest of the group? Morale starts to go down. The leader loses all credibility. Uh, so, so that kind of that fear to survive sort of world is never very effective for a lot of different reasons. Because yeah, you can't fire everybody. Someone's got to do the work. Like <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. That's a great, great point. Find it hard to know themselves what 
motivate them. Mm-hmm. Like they've not done the introspection or yep. afraid. That's a great point. And we'll uh, and we'll get to that. We'll uh, like I said, I've got a couple of examples here, and I'll I'll show some things we can do to to pull some of that out. It's a great point. Because you're right, you're right. Sometimes I don't know. I just want to keep my job. It's like really, is that really what keeps you coming? So, um, so yeah. So then the the last obstacle is this: nothing being in place to uh, to ensure that it's that. The, the things that you've committed to doing that they're actually going to get done. So it's just, you know, Bill Flo's going to lose weight. Like, all right, I know I need to eat right. I need to exercise. And, but without that kind of accountability partner uh, to kind of urge them to continue to move forward, it's really hard to do these things on your own. Um, so having that space of accountability to ensure that things are done, following up with you, provide you encouragement, and maybe a little bit of thumping if necessary uh, to, to make sure that things happen um, is, is a key part of this as well. Um, so setting those concrete goals, helping the, uh, those small steps, making sure that they go along, very clear timelines of when that follow-up is going to happen um, is really, really important. Okay. So... Um, what does this look like in practice? So um, if you'll turn the page from the top, um, on the back of the first one. So these are actual, these are actually, these are real development plans that I've put together. Um, so names are, names are not on there. I had these kind of like quippy statements on the top to kind of describe what we were trying to accomplish. Um, those are all pulled off. So example one. So this was a, uh, a young engineer just out of school. I was trying to basically just trying to figure out how to work. Um, and so they were, uh, they actually had worked in another group for about nine months. We had a whole organizational changeover. Um, and this individual was brought into my team um, as one of, uh, one of my engineers. And so I had the job, worked with them. Uh, for about three months, so building relationship, observing, figuring out, okay, what are the goods? What are the things we can be better? Um, and so as we were going through this, uh, there were four behaviors that I had observed in this individual. Okay, and so I wrote them down here. So current behavior, kind of tied back to what we talked about before. So first was gets caught up in immediate needs. So it'd be, might've been working on something. Uh, Sue would come in and say, hey, I need this from you. Jump right off of it, go jump on, start go working on that other thing. So it got caught up in the immediate and didn't stay on task. And that was happening pretty frequently. Um, secondly, would get caught off by, get caught off by problems. Um, it didn't have a lot of contingency plans behind uh, to back up the things that we were doing. So an operational world, we have work happening out in the field office. Um, so something wouldn't go exactly to plan, didn't have a backup plan. So then things would get thrown off, uh, cause a lot of chaos and uncertainty and confusion. Um, so that was something that was happening. Uh, thirdly, would scramble at the last minute to get work done, which would then cause fire drills for everybody else. So anyone ever been in that place where someone at work wasn't taking care of their business and because they didn't take care of business, it caused you a whole bunch of extra work. So I think we've all been in that place. So that was number three. Um, and then fourthly was having difficulty in figuring out the most effective and efficient way to get things done. Um, so instead of just doing it in something that took two steps, they were doing it like eight steps. And so there's four, you know, so there's these kind of four key behaviors that I was seeing um, out of this person. Okay. So then I think, okay, if this is the problem, so these are the behaviors I see that we can improve upon. What, are, what, what does good look like? So start to create that vision of what good looks like. And so you look under target behavior and you see that looks for obstacles, starts to put together contingency plans, adjusts, is able to adjust those contingency plans if necessary focuses on the highest priority things first and doesn't get distracted. Um, and then lastly, lays out a third schedule and then s- the steps that are needed for achieving um, the objectives that we're trying to do. So most were kind of like, this is what good looks like. So this is what I see today. 
It's not that you're a bad person, you're not a bad employee, I don't think you're awful, but these are things that I see that are causing problems. And then this is what good really, really looks like, okay? So this is pre-work. So I did this before we ever had any conversation. We have one-on-one, so we meet every two weeks and talk about what's happening at work, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff, okay? So that was the first part. And then if you look at the very bottom on accountability, I've already got accountability filled out. So we got, we'll jointly go over what we've come up with on knowledge and skill development, and then we're gonna confirm your motivation to work on this. So, um, so one, 90 days, took time to build a relationship, observe, really understand um, where this individual was, what these opportunities were, what they were doing well. Um, so that was step one. So relationships in place, got some trust that's been built there. And so we come into our one-on-one, just having to be around quarterly performance reviews, talking about opportunities to get better. And so I kind of have this thing kind of already stand out. So I got two copies, one for me and one for the individual. So it's like, hey, you know, we're talking about employee development. I take the document, hand it off, say, hey, here's something that I want us to talk about. And so, I, so we start to walk through this. And so I say, okay, um, talk about the current behaviors. Like, are, is there anything in here that uh, you don't, that you agree with or don't agree with? And they're like, yeah, I'm really struggling. <laughs> it's true that this is happening. It's true that I'm having trouble, you know, not responding to people when they come into my office. So we start talking about that. Um, and so as we talk through that, if you flip over to the next page, this is one that's actually filled out, and this is a result of our conversation, okay? So as we talk about that getting caught up in immediate needs, um, the comes back and is like, well, it's actually, I just, I just don't have all my work prioritized. Um, and so because of that, I'm getting it done just in time. Um, and since I'm getting it just in time, this isn't causing us having for all these fire drills to be happening. So I could have been able to get it done on Monday, I got, I didn't have it prioritized that I needed to have this done on Wednesday. So then I waited till late on Wednesday to start doing it. Now I'm getting it out late and it's causing all these problems. So proper prioritization of work was more the problem than it was getting caught up in immediate needs. So we were able to scratch one out, replace it with something else. Um, caught off guard, agreed that that was an issue. Um, the first one actually tied into the, the third bullet point. So we scratched that one out too. So, okay, we really need to focus on prioritization. And if we do that, then some of this other stuff's gonna take care of itself. Um, so that came out. Target behavior was clear, understood what that looked like. And then we come down to the knowledge. So the question then was like, okay, well, what are the things that we can do to help you start to build a skill around prioritization, uh, being efficient in how you do things. And so we started out with, all right, I want you to go read this article. Um, it's called How to Create a Work Breakdown Schedule. So how do I break down my work into pieces that are easily manageable? So go read that. Um, next up was, there was a course. So there was actually a course there. It was free, it was on campus. So it was an easy one to get them into because it was like a week out. So all right, we can do this. So um, had them attend this Five Habits of Extraordinary Productivity. So two things we put on a schedule for him to work on. Um, and then, so that we were gonna talk about that in our next accountability section. Um, so then from the skills perspective, You've got these two things that we're gonna have you work on. So we're gonna have you knowledge, gain this knowledge. So how are we gonna put this into practice? So what are some things you can do over the course of the next couple of weeks to start putting the skill of prioritization, um, these skills of productivity into place? Um, so first is, all right, at the end of every day, go through your list of projects, then the due dates, and then update that at the end of each day. Okay, so this was the due date. This is what I need to get done. Did I actually get it done or did I not? Am I ahead or behind schedule? So that was one. Um, two for that developing contingency plans uh, was to get out into the field and observe operations, work with the team, compare that to the written procedure, 
identify opportunities to improve efficiency, identify solutions to what if scenarios. So that's that contingency piece that we're working on. Um, so those are the two skill things. You start to build skill around prioritization, building some skill around contingency planning, and they're physical things that he has to do. So that's where the skill piece of that. And then the motivation part was one that was really interesting. So you ask like, okay, what's the motivation? Um, so the questions I like to ask, and this is, okay, so we talked about scramble drills, causing other people to have to do all this work. Like, what does that look like? And what do you feel your teammates think about that? And he's like, well, people don't want to work with me because they think I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I cause all this extra work for people. So when I'm their engineer, I can just see them rolling their eyes and groaning. So he was, he was personalizing this um, in a way that was pretty accurate. <laughs> and so I didn't soften the blows like, yeah, that's right. You know, people don't really want to work with you because it's just not a pleasant experience. We've got a lot of stuff going on, a pretty stressful environment. Um, and these things are really, really hard. So don't sugarcoat it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, and then he also says, well, I also think that since I was a supervisor, he goes, I've seen that you've given like some higher priority projects to other engineers on the team and you haven't given those to me. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly right. That is a, a consequence of us having these struggles. So we picked up on that. Um, and then he also said that he was having to work really, really late because he wasn't prioritizing this stuff. So he was putting a lot of extra hours. Uh, so he was staying up till midnight, one in the morning, trying to get all this stuff done. Um, so as we were talking this, fleshing out the, like, what are the impacts and the, uh, the impacts and the consequences of us not being very good at this? Um, then I said, okay, so if we were to be able to go from current to target, like, what would that change for you? And so then that, if you look under motivation, he says, well, I'd be a better teammate to others and people would want to work with me. Okay, that sounds good. What else? It's like, well, I'd probably get a chance to work on more impactful projects, big projects. You know, my career will probably benefit from it. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, and then the last one made me laugh. He's like, and I get a whole lot more sleep. <laughs> like, all right. I was like, well, those three things motivate you to want to work on this and get better. He's like, man, it'd be so awesome if we could do that. And so now we've got this positive buy-in to develop on these things in the career and not just being worried about getting fired. Um, and so that's really what the process looks like. And so now you have this accountability, which is, okay, our next one-on-one. In this case, there was a lot to do, so two-week period. I'm going to give you a month. So over the next four weeks, go take this class, read this article, get out into the field, make your priority list, follow through on that for a month. In our next one-on-one, -on -one, um, we'll talk about how things are going. Um, I'll tell you about what I'm seeing, plus and minus, um, good and bad. And then uh, we'll talk about the, the kind of his homework, which is the skill portion. Um, we'll just talk about what does that look like? What are the opportunities? What works? What doesn't work? And those kind of things. And you start to lay the framework to continue those conversations. So does that make any questions on that? Yeah. So you did what you called pre work. You wrote down the observations that you had about right. this person's behavior. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then kind of what you were hoping mm -hmm. from them. Yep. Gave them the information, would like your comments, and it was a conversation about yep. Yep. Right, yes, yeah, so that's exactly right. So the first two, so the current and target behavior were the things we talked about. Um, and I'd have that that first page printed out. And we basically kind of crossed it. We're just talking back and forth about it. Like, what do you think about this? Is it true? Is it not true? What do you think? What do you feel about this? And so um, it really was that open conversation. The only two places 
the two behavior portions and the accountability were filled out. Uh, typically what I'll do is on the, the knowledge side of things, I'll kind of have a bank of stuff for people to choose from. I think they're, everyone learns in a different way. Um, so there are some who, want, who prefer to read, some want to watch the video, some want to podcast it. Um, and so some people just want to observe. And so you kind of have a bank of like different knowledge opportunities for people to choose from. Um, these just happen to be the two that, that he picked from. Um, there's a great book, if you haven't seen it, it's called FYI, it's For Your Improvement. It's by Corn Ferry. It's a little pricey, I'll say it's probably like 65 bucks, um, but to me it's, the, uh, it's probably my go-to when it comes to personal development. Um, it's very behavior-based, has something like 35 to 38 competencies. I think the new one just came out with 43, um, but they're very focused competencies. It has a really good job of like, describing what each of them are. Um, and it does, like, this is what skilled looks like, this is what unskilled looks like, has a bunch of resources in it. It's a really, really great book. So you do this with everybody? Yep. Yep. So, yeah. So everybody who works for me um, has something like this in place. My direct reports have it, um, and then I coach them up on how to do it with their people. We do quarterly performance reviews. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a lot a lot happens in the span of a year um, so we usually have ours yeah yeah so I have uh, I have four direct reports for my personally but then it scans out from there yeah but we do quarterly um, and so I have it broken up so usually quarter one is going to be employee development so it's this stuff um, so quarter one is typically that quarter two is going to be a checkup on goals so we all have our own personal goals for the year so quarter two is going to be that um, q3 then is more of a uh, career development conversation. So where do you want to go? What do you want to, what do you want to be when you grow up sort of conversation? So that happens in Q3. Um, Q4 is the final checkup on goals. Um, and then you kind of start it all over. Q1 is performance reviews for the full previous year and employee development. What kind of engineers do you work with? Um, so I typically work with uh, mechanical, chemical, and petroleum engineers. Um, but then I also have a large field organization too. So it's frontline guys turning wrenches, um, producing gas, doing all of that. Roughly how long for each, each uh, meeting? Um, so one-on-ones can vary. Uh, for me, they're about an hour, but usually the first 30 minutes is going to be on metrics, um, no, any, any roadblocks I can knock out for them, those kind of things. Um, then the, 30, uh, the second 30 minutes will be on things like performance development and that kind of thing. But I do, I do my, my one-on-ones are every two weeks. <laughs> you bet. Uh, so, uh, so Q1 is typically going to be employed. So there's going to be development. So Q1 will be normally we're doing performance reviews from like the full previous year. Um, so it's that full previous year performance review. Then it's a real easy roll into employee development. So this is for this is what 2022 looked like. There are things you did well. These are things that maybe we could have been better. Roll into an employee development conversation from there. Um, so that's Q1. Um, Q2 is going to be a checkup on. Uh, personal goals for the year. So you do all your performance goals at the beginning of the year. Q2 is kind of the checkup, like mid-year checkup. How are we doing? Are we on track, off track? Do we need to re redirect? Has something changed? Have we got to change a goal? And that's the opportunity to do that in Q2. Q3 is going to be uh, career development. So like, where do you want to go? And then Q4 is your final checkup on um, performance for the year. And usually I do Q4 performance reviews are in usually right before Thanksgiving. So give folks two weeks to pick it up or 
<laughs> hope for the best. Um, so the way I do goals is um, for my role. So I've got, you typically have company, company objectives. So what is the company trying to do? Now from there, then I ask myself, what are the things that I need to do within my group to make sure that the company hits those, those targets? Um, so then I do that and I put together my goals around what that needs to look like. There'll be a combination of, I call it deliver the business is the first one. So what do we have to do to hit the core metrics? We got to deliver the business. So what does that got to look like? So that's my first pillar. Um, the next pillar is something that I call make it better. Uh, so those are the things um, that I feel, things that I put down like, you know, yeah, things are running okay, but here's some things that we can work on to make us more efficient, reduce our costs, help us increase production, improve processes, systems. So that's kind of, I call it the make it better section. Um, and then the last one's a company strategy. So sometimes company will have some strategic things they want us to work on. Um, so I'll add that as a third pillar uh, to what we're trying to do. Um, after I do that, then I'll unleash it to, to the, those who report directly to me because they each have very defined organizations and what they're responsible for. And so from there is when it really starts to fragment out. Um, so I might be like, okay, Larry, you're responsible for operations. So for you, your key, your key pieces are gonna be costs, safety, um, and making sure that, you know, that we deliver what we said we're gonna deliver. That's your, these are your wheelhouse, these are your metrics. You go talk to your teams, figure out the things that you feel like you need to do within your organization to make sure we do that. And then I go to Dave, like, all right, Dave, you're responsible for, you're responsible for engineering. <laughs> so <laughs> project management, costs, all that kind of stuff, that's your wheelhouse. You take a look at that, figure out the things you most important that need to be done to make sure that we hit our metrics. And then I go to the next person, hey, you're responsible for the support side of things, what do you need to be doing? Um, and then each one of those leaders then kind of puts together their goal set, and then we'll review that and, uh, and set it for the year. And then it just can, kind of cascades down from there. So it kind of goes from really, really big, and it gets narrow as you go down to then the frontline person who knows, okay, I need to be sure that I complete every single of my work orders that I receive. I make sure I complete these things every single day, and I make sure that I have a job safety analysis for every job that I do. That's what you have to be sure that you do that every single day, do that well. Um, that moves up to the next one, moves up to the next one. And as long as every gear is turning, um, then the rest of uh, everything else takes care of itself. So, so Q1's really busy for me. With this process specifically, um, so for employee development, it really comes down to that one-on-one -on -one and the accountability. So meeting with people on that frequent basis, make the kid analogy on purpose. So if I had given this to, you know, work through this with this individual, a couple of one-on-ones, but we never ever talked about this again during our, our follow-up one-on-ones, it's like, all right, I guess this wasn't as important as I thought it was. But when it's very, when it is important and you follow up, that accountability piece is super important. I think that's one that does get, that falls off sometimes um, just because if you only make it 75% of the way, you don't just take that next step. Um, you don't get the results that you need. So it's that follow up, knowing that it's going to happen. Um, and what I love about this too is, yeah, you have to do a lot of front, the front end work for the first two, uh, but then what happens, it almost become, it becomes a cycle because then what happens is, okay, this person got better at this. This was not, these were not the only things that this individual had to work on. I've got a whole bank of stuff for them to work on too. <laughs> and so you can kind of just start to, you can start rolling those things into this. So it becomes this continuous process where your one-on-ones are always roadblocks, issues, things I can do to help you. And then it's that secondary accountability, employee development that happens throughout the entirety of the year. Um, and you can see people really go from A to B to C uh, really, really fast. And it's really fun. And then when they start at the beginning, like it might be a little Sometimes they do, um, but I, I think it does come back to that relationship piece that I talked about before, and that's really important. Like they truly, and you know, when I think about trust, it's 
your employees, people that you work with, have to truly believe that you have their best interest at heart. If they think that you're coming at this place of, I'm just trying to get something out of you, or I'm just doing this to make me look good, it's not gonna go very far. Um, so it really comes back to that heart, which is kind of the heart of Christ, which is heart of people. Um, and so that's really, to me, has been the most important part. So if you, can, if you can get that part in place, the rest of the stuff actually really flows pretty easily. But it's a great point, it really is. So, um, yes, sir. So our goals are going to be annual. So we set annual goals. Um, like mine, I got way too many. Uh, <laughs> but when we get down to the frontline individuals, um, I like to keep them in the space of three to five is usually where I want them to be. Okay. Yeah. You get more than that, it's just hard to get anything done. Usually not, no. Because it's more of a reflection of, okay, so these are the, the deliverables. Right. That's exactly right, Katya. Kind of right. Yeah, like what benefit do you get out of doing these things? Like what benefit do you get out of reading these books? What benefit do you get from watching these videos? What benefit are you going to see out of this? Um, that's kind of like the follow-up piece of that. Yeah, great question. No, they're they're a little more. It, it's a combination of all that stuff, Jamie. And I think you got a lot of flexibility in how to do that. Um, but yeah, Q2, Q3, and Q4 are a lot more relaxed than Q1 is. So, great question. Okay, so um, the next one I want to go through is example number two that you'll see here. Um, so this was a, a frontline supervisor that did have direct reports. Um, an individual that I inherited um, was pretty. Uh, Pretty interesting. This is like the only one, only person I ever had like this. Um, so the frontline supervisor with direct reports, um, they provided a support function for a greater team. Um, and so the current behaviors here, you can see it was, uh, was pretty amazing. So values own interests and needs above others, pushes their own point of view too strongly. Um, number two, shuts down line of communications across groups with aggressive outbursts and they would leave meetings. So basically like, you are idiots. And then they would just walk out of the room. <laughs> like what in the world's going on here? Um, uh, next, doesn't respect other groups or their work, so always talking bad about people, less, allows conflict or to create disruption, negative reactions, quick to be defensive, so a lot of stuff happening. This individual had a lot of anger management issues. Um, so um, this person actually had to go to anger, I think I had him go to anger management class before we had this conversation even. Yeah, because we didn't even make 90 days before we had to start doing stuff. Um, so, uh, <laughs> um, so obviously a lot of things here. So target behavior was finding common ground um, and acceptable alternatives, seek to understand other people's point of view, is able to diffuse high tension situations effectively, um, and then appropriately manages emotions, their words, and behavior. So those are kind of like the four things like, hey, let's work on these things. If we can get these things across the line. Um, I think we'll be in much better shape than we are because technically really, really good at what they did. So it's that employee that, man, they are really, really good at their job, but there's this huge trail of destruction that gets left behind um, as they do their work. And so this was a really, really tough one, okay? Um, so, uh, so we sat down, talked about it, uh, and so the knowledge piece was this discipline of listening had to start really, really small, so small steps. <laughs> so the knowledge was read the discipline of listening, then identify two techniques that you can apply. Um, so what are two things that you can do to be a better listener? Don't fly off the handle, make assumptions, but just learn to listen to other people. Um, so small, we're going to start small. This is where we're going to start. Okay. Um, on the skills side of things, uh, 
use the phrase, what do you think about when expressing what you'd like to do? And then help me understand when you don't think something's a good idea. Um, so instead of calling someone an idiot, say, I don't understand how this is going to work. I don't understand what this is supposed to look like. Ask that question so you can get more information um, before you fly off the handle. So really trying to create this moment of pause instead of immediately firing off a moment of pause, which is going to be you have to ask a question, which then you apply this skill, this knowledge of listening. So now I have to ask a question. Now I have to apply my knowledge, my, my knowledge skill of listening and apply that to the situation to slow you down so that you don't immediately just start to uh, verbally go off. Um, next one is think back over the, in this case, I asked them to go over the last two weeks um, and just said, write down situations when you had a negative emotional response, like when you blew up, when you got really mad, what was the, you know, what was the situation? What happened? But then also what triggered that response? Like, why did you react in that way? Like, what was going on in you? What were you thinking? What were you feeling? Um, and then also this early warning signs of behavior. So what are the things you feel in yourself right before you start yelling, right before you stand up and storm out of the room? Like, what are you feeling? So what does that mean? How many of you got really, really mad? Some people feel like that pit in the stomach where it kind of starts to get knotted. Other people's eyes start to get, you know, kind of get red or kind of start getting teary. Maybe your ears start to get really hot. <laughs> There's that feeling that you have that lets you know that you're about to lose your cool. Um, so with him, it was like, really think about what, what are you feeling? What are you thinking before it shoots out of your mouth? Once again, trying to cause this individual to get to this place of, I'm gonna pause and stop about, and think about what's happening before it actually happens. Um, and then lastly was, all right, these, some of these folks that you're having a hard time with, you need to go have lunch with them. Go to lunch with them, but you're not going to talk about work. All you're going to do is you're going to talk about family, you're going to talk about your hobbies, you're going to talk about the things you like to do, like why do you live here? Go build that relationship so that when you're in that tense moment, you see them as a person and not as an adversary. Um, so those were the three things that this individual was asked to work on over the course of the next uh, next. Uh, two weeks in this case, okay? And then the motivation, then I was like, well, talk about, like, what are the consequences of this? Or all kinds of stuff, like, oh, you know, they're all dumb, they don't know what they're talking about, so if I don't do this thing, work will never get No, that's not. <laughs> what else, what else, what else, what else? Um, and this individual, unfortunately, if you look at their motivation, was provide for my family. So their only motivation to get better in this place was to provide for my family. So we talk about motivations, there was the thrive, the positive reinforcement, I'm doing this to get better, uh, that path. And then there's the path of survival and fear. Providing for my family is on the negative side of things. And so really struggled to get this individual to this place of having a positive motivation for improving. Um, so there was absolutely some pride stuff going on here too. Um, so admitting wrong was an issue. But that's, what, that's where they ultimately landed. Um, and accountability, one-on-one, we discuss the phrases, all the triggers, all that kind of stuff. Um, but unfortunately, the motivation for this individual was not quite where it needed to be. And you, know, you were asking before around motivation. You can pull, try and pull as much out of them, but eventually you get to this place where you just see it's not going too far. Uh, all right, this is all we got. We're going to work with what we have. Hopefully, things will improve as you go. So um, really worked hard with this individual for about... Uh, for about three months, <laughs> really worked with them, um, saw some minor improvements, um, but eventually things were just not working out. Um, and so the, uh, I'll bounce this over this one. So the question is, what if things don't get better? I got 15 minutes. Um, we'll talk about this and then I'll, I'll bounce back to, to some of the other stuff to try and make this more applicable to others. Um, so like, what do you do if things don't get better? So I have this individual, really good at what they do, but they're causing havoc 
tried to do this development stuff with them. So what do you do as a, as a, as a leader and as a Christian leader? What do you do? It's like, well, I'm supposed to be a Christian. I'm supposed to be loving. So I'm just going to keep, allow them to continue to behave the way they're behaving. There's, has anyone been in a, on a team or a part of a group where you've seen that happen? Where there was someone on that team that probably should have been sent home a long time ago, but they're still there. What did that do to the team? Yeah, it was toxic. It was, it was awful. So that's not the most loving thing that we can do for the teams that we lead. Other side of this as well is for that individual, do you think they're in the right spot? And so sometimes the most loving thing that you can do is allow them to go find a place where they're a better fit, a place that they can feel motivated, a place where they feel like their approach works, um, a place where they feel more a part of the group. Sometimes that's the most loving thing that you can do. Um, and so the verse I have up here, Matthew 19, is the, it is the rich young ruler. Uh, so in, in that you see this individual comes to Christ and Jesus and says, it's like, hey, you know, what do I have to do to be in the kingdom? It's like, you know, he just rattles off basically kind of the Ten Commandments. And he's like, yep, I've done all those things. I'm good. Jesus looks at him and says, okay, well, go sell all your stuff, give it away, and then come back and see me. So what does that look like? <laughs> Looks like here's, a, here's something you need to go do, and this is accountability. Come back to me after you've done it so that we can talk about it. And then he had to make the decision as to whether that was something that he wanted to do. And in that case, he chose not to do it, and he walked off. Um, so did Jesus chase after him? It's like, no, please don't go. Stay here. I need you. It was no. Jesus made it clear what needed to be done. That's a lot of what this is, making it clear what needs to be done. But often people will self-select out. There's been a lot of times when I've done this here um, with individuals, and we might be a month or two in, and they'll come to me and say, you know what, um, this isn't the place for me. The things, that, the things that I need, that you are asking me to do, or that you need for me, I, that's just not me, and I'm not willing to do it, and, and that's okay. Um, so I've have, have, have had that happen, and it happens more often than not, which makes things a lot easier for me because you don't have to do all the HR paperwork. So <laughs> <laughs> firing people is really, really hard. Good. Yeah, I was going to ask you a question before. Uh-huh. Um, something I was noticing when you were going through this is it didn't seem like you were giving them, I mean, maybe you are in, in, as it's going through, but like, it didn't seem you were giving them an opportunity to like defend themselves. Yeah, or, absolutely. Like, make an excuse or something. Um, I don't. Now you're saying sort yep. of like. Yeah. Where you're saying you're making it clear what yep. um, I think it's the, if you'll, you'll think about it, if you go back to like the first example here, you'll see I, I scratch some stuff out. Because yeah. as we were going through our conversations and talking about this, they said, it's like, no, nah, I really don't think I get caught up in immediate needs. I think it's more, I'm just not prioritizing very well. Um, so you open that conversation around what these things look like. I just say, hey, this is what I'm seeing. Yeah. Now, if I'm seeing it wrong, you can, here's your opportunity to correct me. Like, am I missing something here? Is that not right? Is that right? And so they, they, you give them the opportunity to provide that feedback into to what you're seeing. Okay, but you're not letting them excuse it. No, I don't make excuses, no. Right. right. Okay. Yeah, when, like in, the, yeah, in that place, like, it's like, well, all these people are asking me to do all this stuff. It's like, well, yeah. well, things have to get done, so I'm not going to let you off the hook there. Let's focus on this thing, which is the behavior is <laughs> that... Things aren't getting done. Yeah, yeah. So I can tell my kids all the time. Like, yeah, excuse, excuses are like butts, right? They all smell, and everyone's got one, and they all stink. So, my kids don't like when I say that. I think it's, I think it's hilarious. Um, so, but, uh, but yeah, don't, don't allow the pe- folks to get into this place of making excuses for what's happening. It's either they own it, or it's, you know, there's something else going on, and you're going to try and flesh that out to, to adjust it here. Okay. 
Because when someone tries to make this use, I say, well, okay, well, if that's the case, then why do I see this happen? Um, it's, it's normally the, the direction I take for that. That's exactly right. You're exactly right, because sometimes like, hey, you know, that's just the reality. People are going to come into your office and ask you for things. It's the nature of business. Things change, so that is going to happen. So uh, there's no getting away from that. So then how do we manage that? It's the prioritization. It's thinking about, okay, these are things I had to get done today. I didn't get done, so what am I going to do differently tomorrow to get myself back on track? That's the kind of stuff that wasn't happening. But that's exactly right. Is there some external forces, and that comes into the, is there a roadblock or something that I need to address as the leader, or is there just a work practice that we need to adjust to, to help them uh, get better? So, so ultimately, the individual has to make the choice and take the action. Uh, and then lastly, our role is then to provide resources and do all that we can to help them. But if they're not able to meet the bar or are unwilling to meet the bar, um, that's all on them. Um, and so, I never feel bad when I fire somebody. It makes me sad that <laughs> yeah. they weren't able to get where they needed to be. Thinking about Christ, uh, yeah, there's a certain level of sadness there because you really want the best for people, um, but ultimately they have to make the choices, and then there's things that come along with that. It's interesting um, you say that, though. I feel bad when I fire people yeah. frequently. Yeah. And I think because maybe it's a different business, but sometimes I have to fire people because I'm in healthcare mm -hmm. and they don't show up. Yeah. And, and sometimes that's because it's a single mom. Yeah. Childcare issues, and we try to walk that mm -hmm. as much as we can. We yeah. do everything we can. But at the end of the day, I need you. Right. When you're here, you're, <laughs> you're awesome. Right? Yeah. Uh -huh. When you're here, when you're all you're yeah. great. But I need you here. Mm -hmm. So that does break my heart. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. I think for me, I just, uh, I like it's kind of like, have I done everything that I possibly can? And, and, and I, if I can answer, if the answer to that is yes, then it's kind of like, I've done all that I can. Um, and there's still always that part of like, there's, a, we all have responsibilities in business and those kind of things too. It's, it is hard. I agree with you. Yeah, and that comes that that kind of that's that's the self-select. That's the and you know, Jamie. Sometimes that's the, that's the self-select part where they just say, "Hey, I know you need me here. I'm just not meeting your expectations." Because I don't, know, I, I don't think people really want to do a bad job. I really don't. They really don't. And when it becomes clear that they're not meeting your expectations, typically they'll they'll go try and find a place where they can do that. Um, so I said back to what I said before. Typically, I find people who self-select out more than anything else. Okay. Cool. All right, so I did have a couple of key phrases that I, I, I use often. Um, this is kind of helpful for those who are kind of like, I don't have direct reports, but you know, I got peers and others that I interact with, and sometimes they do stuff that drives me crazy. Um, so these are three things that I've been able to use that are really helpful. Uh, first is kind of like the, the positive negative pairing, so this is pretty common out there, but it's like, you know, what I appreciate about you is you're really hardworking, uh, you, you know, you're really teachable, uh, you, you know, you're a risk taker. I love those things about you. Uh, they really, you know, you really do, makes you really do a really, really good job here. But you could be more effective if maybe you weren't so impulsive. You know, <laughs> when you see this happen, uh, maybe you shouldn't just immediately jump into something. Maybe take a second to think about it. That kind of opens a conversation for you to maybe go forward with somebody um, in that place. Really effective too if someone's, you know, 
when you have a coworker who comes to you complaining about a situation or someone else, um, really great opportunity to kind of use this pairing uh, to say, hey, you know, I really appreciate this about you, but maybe that situation could be better if, and you kind of walk into the, into the next opportunity behind that. Um, the next one is I feel that. Um, the reason I put this up here is, and this kind of feels a little touchy, touchy-feely, but people can't argue with your feelings. I can't say, Dave, you can't be mad about that. I can be mad about that. You can't tell me to not feel mad. They can argue with you with what you think, though. It's like, I think that you're a jerk when you do that. Well, I don't think I'm a jerk. So now it's a battle of reason. And, you know, let's lay out the qualifications of what a jerk is and what a jerk isn't. And we'll see who's right. But when I say, I really feel like you're acting like a jerk when this happens, that's a whole different conversation. Um, so it kind of turns it around a little bit. This opens the door for you to be able to have a, a more meaningful conversation. Um, and then lastly is it, it seems like, so this one is one where um, if someone's trying to justify their behavior, uh, you know, I talk about this individual like storms out of the room, you know, cusses people out and then runs out of the room. I'm like, they'll be like, so it seems like you think that that solves the problem. Well, it doesn't solve the problem, blah, 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 blah. And we'll go down to the, well then, all right, so it seems like you think that's the best way to handle that situation. Well, no, it's not. There's probably a different way for me to handle that. Okay, now I've gotten you to a place where we have something concrete that we can start working on. Um, so, so that's a really good phrase too. Like, like it seems like, that's more kind of reflective back to you. Like this is my view of what I'm seeing happening. Um, so this, it seems like, and it allows them to then kind of start to open that door to share and start talking about what's actually going on. Um, sometimes you'll get interesting answers that come out of that. Okay. So those are three things that I typically use uh, more often with peers than anything else. And we don't have that kind of direct supervisory sort of uh, opportunity with them. Um, those are three things that I use pretty often uh, in, uh, in those kind of conversations, kind of get things guiding in a certain direction. So um, I've got five minutes. Any other questions? Anything else? I think that's it. Mm -hmm. And uh, the home office sent on the notice to everybody and said, we want you to tell us what changes you want to smell and make it in your life for the next five years. And I said, well, let's put it this way. I've been married to the same husband for 50 years. I've lived in the same house for 50 years. And I've been at the same job for 45 years. Do you really think I'm going <laughs> 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 Yeah. That's great. All good. So I hope we can else? you, oh, I'm sorry, somebody else have a question? Do you find this, you, this way that you, you uh, um, do business with, the, with these people different with the baby boomers and the younger people? Do you find it just um, effective? I think it, it has been. Yeah. Um, I think what I see is that there's a, this whole continuum, um, but I do think like generation I see today, there's very much focused on wellness, it's focused on this work-life balance, those kind of things. So typically what I find is the motivation portion. Uh, when we talk about motivation, it's usually more in that direction of, hey, you know, if I do this really, really well, it enables me to do X, Y, Z. Um, so I normally see that come out uh, from a generational perspective that's usually different. Um, kind of older generations are, those actually, some of the older generation is actually more in the place where it's harder to get them out of the fear place. Because it more is about, I would do this to keep my job, I'm doing this to provide for my family, I'm doing this for that kind of stuff. So I typically find it harder to get the motivation to something that's more in the positive realm. It, and Chris, Chris, you make you bring up a good point because there's essentially I think there's five generations we're dealing with in the marketplace today. So I mean more than more than ever, and they all 
look at things differently, and we have to know how to navigate yep. that. And there's some real, That's, uh, real challenges there. Mm -hmm. and, uh, Except I see the differences really is in the motivation side of things. Uh, like I said, wellness, life balance is really important. Um, previous generation was more around like authenticity. That was a really big theme that would come out a lot. Um, so to me, that's been really interesting too, to kind of watch the walk and the changes in, uh, in motivations is really where it happens. But it comes back to, in general, people want to do a really good job. And so that's always something that you can always hinge on. Okay. All right, great.